This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a Monday, last live Monday of the year. You know what that means, OG. Big shout out to our troops. And man, we've now had the Army-Navy game. We've had uh, quite a year from people defending the country to people at our military academies. And you know what? The men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union want to celebrate that. Happy holidays from Navy Federal and from our team here in the basement to all of our troops Let's all go stack some Benjamins together, shall we? Oh, hello. You're, uh, you're probably here about the, uh, the story. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and do you ever get overwhelmed trying to decide what part of your finances to tackle first? Fear not! Today, to help you get your 2022 financial goals in order, we'll talk about the best financial order of operations. Today is also the anniversary of the Louisiana Purchase being completed, and you'll have just enough time to Google what that was before my trivia. Then we'll have headlines and a TikTok minute that's going to make you groan. Don't they all? We'll also answer a Haven Lifeline about the downsides of being the financially educated one in the family. And now, two guys who know a little something about that. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. We just may know a little something about that. A thing or two. Maybe. Hey, everybody. Welcome to, speaking of a thing or two, a thing of one, two, or only three live shows to go in this year, OG. Welcome to the Monday party of our last week of live episodes. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across this card table from me, it's Mr. OG. It's the last day before you know what. Your side of the table always has so much better lighting than mine. Got to do, do something about that. At least I dressed up and put on a Nike workout shirt today so <laughs> you did 
zip that up and make it look a I little bit more. I got my Glacier uh, long sleeve shirt on. I got a little more professional. Mickey Mouse uh, listening to podcast coffee mug, but who cares what we're wearing? Espresso. The big thing that we're worried about, OG, is what are we doing? We're talking about order of operations. What do you do first? What do you do second? What do you do third when you're creating your financial plan? Isn't that pem, pem, PEMDAS? Don't know what that is. Order of operation. Ah. All the math people out there know what I'm talking about. They do. Parentheses, multiplication, something, exponents. It tells you how to do math. Perfect. <laughs> you can tell I've got it wired. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck the landing on that one. Yeah. It's like uh, parentheses and some other stuff and, and subtraction. It might be a little off. Luckily, while we might not know the so, order of operations for math without Googling that, we do know the order of operation for where to start with your financial plans. We're going to help you with that today. Man, we got a, a headline. We have Clark Howard coming up Wednesday telling us all the things we should learn from 2021. And on Friday, our roundtable team, including you, OG, take a swing also at what uh, we think are some of the lessons from 2021. I was surprised by, as we recorded those, of course, ahead of time, surprised by the difference between Clark's list and your list. So we got those. And while I said that this is the last week of live episodes, we got you covered next week, Stackers. We're doing five shows next week. A five banger. Five of them. Uh, that's our holiday gift to you. We are going through all of our favorite fire-themed episodes, financial independence, retirement early over the years. Brooke Miller, our amazing person who writes the 201, dug in and she looked through the archives to find our favorite five. And uh, you and I will kick them off every day. So we do have you covered there. Enough about the future. Let's uh, get going on today. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, let's get this party started. Let's do it. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline comes to us from Investment News. You know, one thing that we didn't talk a lot about this year, uh, we'll not be talking about in the next couple of days, is how ETFs really took center stage in 2021. And that's the headline from this Investment News story. The piece is written by Jeff Benjamin. Record net inflows are just a part of the story. ETFs continue to take market share of mutual funds by doing more for less. Jeff writes, the 2021 investing story can be summed in three letters, ETF, in the midst of an impressively strong stock market, especially when considered against the backdrop of a persistently evolving global pandemic. Investors have poured money into exchange-traded funds like never before. Through the end of November, ETFs experienced $787 billion worth of net inflows, which shatters the 2020 record of 540 billion. We went from 540 billion to 787 billion 
in a second year. Truly, investors have gotten the message about exchange-traded funds, OG. Uh, well, I mean, is it that, or is it just a liquidity in the market? Like all the extra money and it's got to go somewhere. I mean, ETFs are taking in more money than mutual funds. We know that, but is the more solely because of the transition to mutual funds or is it because they were already doing more and now there's more liquidity. So more dollars naturally. Well, yeah, but I think the story here is that the money's not going to mutual funds. It's going to ETFs. I agree. They blame this, by the way, in the piece. In fact, a quote by Todd Rosenbluth, Director of Mutual Fund and ETF Research at CFRA, said the record flows of ETFs as a result of a confluence of circumstances, not the least of which is broad-based demand and, and I want to focus on this, greater usage by financial advisors. Financial advisors, I think, largely moving lots of portfolios to exchange-traded funds the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, and companies are doing it. Companies are exchanging their mutual funds for ETFs, you know, kind of doing a, a like swap there. And it's all the rage. There's some great things about it. I mean, the instantaneous pricing, the fact that you can do different kind of order status, you can do limit orders and, you know, that kind of funky stuff is is also super helpful. Let's talk through these for a second. You say the the ability to immediately place an order. What does that mean? How's that different than a mutual fund? Well, with a mutual fund, you say, I want to buy $3,000 worth. And at the end of the day, the mutual fund company says, okay, today was the price. Here's the price. It was at four o'clock. And uh, here's how much you get. In an ETF, you say, I want to buy 3,000 shares. So you have to think of it a little bit differently. You say, I want to buy 20 shares or whatever the number is. And you buy it that, that minute. So whatever the price is that minute is the price that you get. We've also seen lately, though, brokerages like Fidelity now doing partial shares of ETFs. So you can do the same thing. I've seen partial shares of stock. I haven't seen partial shares of ETFs yet. I'll be surprised if that's not coming. Yeah. Hella soon. Yeah. So that helps if you're, you know, if you're trading something, if you're trying to buy something and sell something else and it's a volatile day, super frustrating to sell what you think is a $10,000 position only to find out. at four o'clock that it was really a $9,800 position. Right. If you're trying to get in, in the middle of the day, something going on. Yeah. You've, you don't have a, a lot of knowledge about where you're going to end up, but in the big scheme of things, like, you know, we said back in the mutual fund days, the big scheme of things, that's not huge. I agree. But it is attractive and why not do it? Now you talked about having stop losses and placing options. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think just the the ability to set different trading rules also help. You know, just like a stock, you can say, I want to have a stop loss. I want to have a, uh, which I don't think you need, by the way, but you can do it. You can also put limit prices in. So you can say, I want to buy this. If it reaches this price or dips to this price, I want to buy more of it. So you can set up some more advanced ordering, if you will, in that, uh, in ETFs versus mutual funds. So again, small subset of the population but can be helpful if you're trying to add a little bit of whiz bang to it. A little bit of something, something, Mm -hmm. you know, a stop loss sounds like a fantastic idea. Uh, You take your portfolio, you take a percentage below it or a number below it. And if the stock price goes below that stock price goes below that price, it triggers a sale. You would, you don't necessarily get that price in a fast moving market, Yeah, but it will trigger a sale. So you don't have to sit and watch your portfolio all the time if things are going south, you automatically sell. Sounds, by the way, phenomenal. Right. Sounds fantastic. And you said, 
probably don't want it. Why is that? Well, I mean, the biggest thing with stop losses you've already talked about, it, it just triggers the next event. So when you say, okay, it's trading at 100. If it goes to 90, I want to get out. You don't get to get out at 90. At 90, it turns into a regular order at that point, which means you could get out at 87 or 61. I mean, that would be pretty extreme, but you get the idea. So it doesn't guarantee your price at 90. That's not even the biggest issue. The biggest issue is, is then what, what do you do with that? Do you just sit in cash now forever? If you're worried about the short-term fluctuations of the, of the stock market, you shouldn't have money in stocks, period. I mean, just is what it is. This is the hard part. The hard part isn't getting out. That part is cool, I think. That part's great. Hey, the market's fallen. I get out. I don't have to watch it. The problem is, what do you do then? Well, we know people, uh, Len talks about this openly, that he has lost a lot of money in the fact that he got out and is waiting for the, he's waiting for the decline. <laughs> it hasn't happened, you know? So I don't know. I, now I think it's kind of useless. And now it's so. painful, right? I mean, it gets to the point where you're so far behind. <laughs> when, when you're hoping for a catastrophe in your portfolio, yeah, that's bad. Man, I hope there's a major world event that sends the stock market into tailspin so I can get back in. Could we have a war <laughs> or something? We could yeah. have something just absolutely horrible happen. People could get in. That would be great. That'd be fantastic. I think the big thing for exchange-traded funds, and this is the main reason to just capitulate really to exchange traded funds is I think people are learning that the magic isn't in the managers. The magic is in the right asset allocation and rebalancing strategy, right? Well, this came up as a conversation the other day. Also, I think there's a big, there's a big misnomer between an ETF and an index fund. Like people use the same words interchangeably and it's, you kind of just did also, you're just like, well, an ETF is like an index fund. Not at all. You can, in fact, of all of the all of the new ETFs that are launched this year, I don't know the number, hundred and something of them, eighty nine percent of them are actively traded ETFs. Yeah. So just because you're buying an ETF does not mean you're buying an index product or a passive product. You can be buying. I mean, Kathy Wood's Ark ETF is very actively traded, right? So you could be buying an ETF that's passive or buying an ETF that's active or buying an ETF that's based on an index or buying an ETF that's based on a fund manager's tie color that day. You know, who knows? So that doesn't alleviate your responsibility for kind of double checking it. I will point out one thing that mutual funds, I think, are better at than, than ETFs. And that is as it relates to systematic investing or systematic withdrawals. If you've got a certain amount of money that you're putting in every single month, or you've got a certain amount of money that you're taking out every single month. You know, you're you're in retirement and you're like, okay, cool, I need $3,000 a month. You can't set that up automatically because of the way that it's priced. You have to go in and make that transaction. So what do people do? They just do it kind of lump sum at a time. They say, okay, well, every six months I'm going to go in and I'm going to take my six months worth of withdrawals and put it Big in. Big old chunk. Or every six months I'm going to take all of the cash that I've accumulated in my account and go buy, you know, my portfolio. So little smidge inefficient just like the other side was you know etfs are better but kind of eh, reason on the other side it's well mutual funds are better but eh, solvable you know it's it's not uh, not necessarily the end of the world it is funny how we focus on so many of the upsides of the efficiency of an etf but that's a big inefficiency i mean it could potentially be huge outweigh a lot of these you know slight differences in fees 
well, the set it and forget it type thing is great. It's also could be detrimental where you wake up after three years and you're like, why do I have what 77,000 in cash in my 401k? Uh-huh. Yeah. The question is with all these cool things that we can do now with asset allocation, rebalancing, super low fees, how come so many of us are still losing? What do you mean? I mean, you look at the numbers about people not getting the returns that the market gets, right? If we have this this huge ability to get the returns that the market gets and we're switching to ETFs to get rid of some of the fee issue, let's say we're not taking money out every month and we're not taking money out at all. We're just accumulating money there. Why is it that we're not hearing about more people winning with their exchange-traded fund strategy? Well, I think that it has to do with the fact that it's always the same issue that we come back to, which is it's not about the tool that you use. I mean, you can be super wealthy if all you buy are apartment buildings. You can be super wealthy if all you buy are single-family houses, regardless of the price, by the way. You can be super wealthy if all you buy are index funds or Microsoft stock or uh, actively traded mutual fund. You could be super wealthy with funds that are the most expensive in the universe and super wealthy with the ones that are the least expensive. So all of those things do not cause financial success. You know, just because I got a better price on my house does not mean that I'm going to be more successful than you or just because my investment products are, you know, whatever X percent cheaper than yours does not mean that I'm going to be that much better off than you. It helps, but it doesn't mean it. The number one reason has to do with investor behavior. It's the only reason. Because if you look at it and say that if the average investment gets 8% a year, one would assume the average investor also gets 8% a year. But we know statistically, the average investor gets somewhere in the 35 to 4% a year. And you go, how is that possible? If you just have the average thing. Right. You didn't even try to get the above average thing. You just had the average And by thing. the way, I could even see 65 or 7 you could say, okay, seven. Well, you know, sometimes we do a few things or whatever. Well, but the answer is three and a half to four. Right. It depends. It's usually 3.2 is kind of where the number sorts out. There's a company that studies this and they study all the inflows into investment products and all the outflows from investment products to deduce when people are buying. And guess when all the money went into Kathy Wood's ARC? When it hit the high. <laughs> Last December. And guess when it's all going out? As she's getting smoked. <laughs> In about two weeks from now, when people look at their statements, that's exactly what's going to happen. I just looked up here. The average 20-year equity investment, eight and a third percent. The average equity investor, 3.2. Yeah. So the only explanation to that is we're doing things at the wrong time. It's not the right or wrong products because the average investment includes those crappy products. You know? That's me. I'm always doing the right thing at the wrong time, OG. Like I'm, you know, pulling out the beers at 930 in the morning, drinking a coffee before bed, going to work out right after dinner. I should do that, actually. That's probably a good idea. Those are good. I felt like it before. Big lesson here, though, is exactly that, I think, is that while ETFs are the thing we're not going to be talking about the next two days that are really a big, big story for 2021, the increased use and more dominance from the exchange-traded fund market the fact that if you want to win, it's not about the ETF. Still about you. 
Time for our TikTok minute. This is the part of the show where we find some crazy TikToker and easier, either, either, easier, 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 crazy, easier, easier, dare, crazy like a fox or just sheer stupidity. Which one we got today, OG? I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're almost always sheer stupidity. Oh, but we've had some good ones. We've had some people that have brought we've it, had man. some okay ones. Well, this guy has hacked lower spending. You know, the grocery bill's been through the roof. This dude's hacked right. it. Here we go. Dollars with very little effort. You're going to want to sleep in your car outside of a Marriott and go through the side door between 6 and 8 a.m. And then find your way to the breakfast buffet. You're going to want to grab as much as you can, but the key here is to make it look like you fit in. Don't be too suspicious. The average breakfast cost is between $15 and $20 a day. Over the course of a week, that's $100 in savings. $400 a month invested into the S&P with an 8% growth over 40 years should give you a nice retirement of over a million dollars. It's crazy what compound interest can do. It's crazy what stealing from the Marriott can do. I'm just curious, like, who's eating breakfast for 20 bucks a day? I know, that's a big old a pack breakfast. Of oatmeal. I can't imagine the whole box costs more than 250 maybe 3 bucks. Big old, big old breakfast there. But think about it, man. If you're stealing it from the Marriott, you could upgrade that to $30 breakfast and it's still zero. If your idea of a great breakfast is stealing stuff that's not yours. Sleeping in your car. Yeah. 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 I couldn't groan harder. I remember... The, uh, it's been a couple of years now, but that dude in one of the forums, one of the fire forums online talking about, am I the only one that goes to the car dealer to get the free coffee in the morning? He stops at the car dealer every morning to steal coffee. Really? Yes. Like you could have given me a thousand guesses of where I could get coffee in the morning and I would not get to car dealer, car dealership. But if you think about it, there is coffee at the car dealer. Hey, Bill, good to see you again. Still thinking about that brand new car? Uh, still thinking. What do you guys got on tap today? You got like, uh, let me guess, something in a medium roast? Excuse me, sir? Oh, I'm sorry. I meant uh, medium size. Yeah. When I rented an office at a WeWork, at the time anyway, they were kind of retro cool and like they had, you know, the beer and you could get a glass of beer whenever you wanted and all that stuff. And um, the floor that we were on, like seriously, after, I don't know, a week of being there, I was like, oh, the beer thing's empty. Hmm. Guess somebody had a kegger last night. So I went upstairs and asked the kind of staff. I said, what's with the beer downstairs? Is it going to work? She goes, no, we turned it off. I said, why? I just got here. You guys <laughs> like, I got to get mine. I know. She goes, no, somebody was in here last night with a whole party and they drank the whole keg. And I'm like, yeah, well, when you have a key card access to unlimited booze, what do you think is going to happen eventually? <laughs> Like the person with the key card is going to be like, that that went wrong. we don't have to go out, guys. I've got, I've got all you can drink right here. I got a my great office. idea. It's free. I can invite you in as my guest. What could, what could go wrong? You know, I understand that more because at least one person paid for it and it's a perk. It's a perk going, Hey, if you have, you know, guests here and nobody said how many guests, so yeah, you roll your eyes and you go, yeah, okay, probably shouldn't have done that. Okay, but but sleeping in your car so you can fit in at the buffet at uh, the Marriott, it's a whole different, 
whole different story. If you've got a TikTok minute for me, send those to me, joe at stackybenjamins.com. <laughs> Happy to share some of the, some more bizarre stuff. Normally here, we are getting ready for a guest, but OG, you and I are going to go refill our coffee because we got double duty today. We are the guests. We're going to show you what are the, what's the order of operations? What do you look at first, second, third, while you're getting your financial plan together? So let's go do that. And Doug is going to regale us with some words about the Louisiana Purchase. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And on this day in 1803, the United States nearly doubled in size by completing the Louisiana Purchase. My last Louisiana Purchase was that fried oyster po' boy from a truck behind the gas station. Uh, Do not recommend, by the way. Felt like I lost half my size that day. Anyway, the United States bought about 828,000 square miles of land from France that went from the Mississippi River west to the Rocky Mountains and from the Gulf of Mexico up to the Canadian border, don't you know? My question is, for the land that created all or part of 15 states, how much did Thomas Jefferson pay? Was it $5 million, $15 million, or $50 million? I'll be back with the answer right after I curl in a ball and shudder for a few minutes just thinking about that po' boy. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey there, stackers. I'm Louisiana Purchase occupant and time travel land investor, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, the Louisiana purchase was a steal, both figuratively and literally, at three cents an acre. And even though Thomas Jefferson was legendarily bad with money, it isn't true 
that he put the whole thing on his Amex card just to get the miles. That's just an urban myth. Truth is, in today's dollars, the total purchase would have been for $342 million. But back in 1803, when Joe was just a little baby, that amounted to $15 million. See ya! Big day in our history. There would be no Texarkana if we didn't have the Louisiana Purchase. Actually, there would be a Texarkana, it's not the but it'd be called... Texacana or something. I, uh, that's not, that doesn't sound French. That didn't sound French at all. You think so though? I mean, was it, wasn't that just part of Texas? Uh, well, barely. I live 800 yards in, into Texas. I'm not sure if this uh, at the time. 800 yards from 4,000 Cubans who are trained to kill me. <laughs> I don't think that you can come down here. It was, it was part of Mexico. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I was speaking Spanish there. I don't know, Spanish accent, but neither one. Very good. But lots of, lots of people. Oh, their uh, their little piece of Americana to the Louisiana Purchase, and also to old Tommy J for getting that done. Mm-hmm. You got it done, didn't you? So let's dive in. OG, somebody's listening to this. We don't know where they're starting from, but when you're talking to a new client, very first place that you tell them to begin. Brandy new, very first thing. Got to absolutely have cash. Don't you? I mean, don't you? Don't don't you? Sounds like a uh, yeah. Does this come before or after the where do you want to go? Because I battled with this. Ooh, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, really, on one hand, finding out where you want to go is super important. Like, where do you want to go? What are your goals? On the other hand, sometimes that freaks people out because they get a bunch of analysis paralysis. And you and I also know that there is a value in movement and there's a bunch of stuff. It don't matter where you need to go. You just need to get this stuff done. Well, since you brought that up, maybe the right thing then is where are you now? I think that's the place to start is where are you? Where are you now? Yeah, take some inventory of uh, kind of what the, what's a situation is. And the, and the way that OG and I learned to do this is that you draw on a, on a piece of paper four quadrants. And the top two are quadrants that are your short-term debts and assets and cash flow on the left, the left quadrant. The upper right quadrant is your risk management strategy. And those are the two that uh, the way you and I were trained as advisors, we were taught those are the ones that you live by, right? These are the things that get you by your day-to-day. And that's probably a great place to start before you even need to do any goal setting. Make sure that those are those are operating efficiently because if they're not, doesn't matter where you're going. But the bottom two, the bottom two, the lower left quadrant is your short-term goals. What are things you want in the next maybe 10-ish years, uh, maybe 15 max? And then your long-term goals uh, are the lower right. And take your assets and your liabilities and put them into those different places. What do you have for each of those? And really, again, and, and you and I have talked about this a lot, it makes so much more sense to do this visually, people, the way we're telling you to draw it all out, put it all out, than it does to do it line by line. Like a line by nine net worth statement is fine, but I think this idea of getting it on a piece of paper in front of you visually and seeing it all together, your brain starts then working, OG. I mean, you know, there's three types of people. There's visuals, audios, and kinesthetics. Most people in the United States are visual, but even audios and kinesthetics work in a visual world because so many people are visual. 
And our brains are wired so that when we look at things, our unconscious mind does a lot of the heavy lifting. I mean, just walking down the hall to get here today, going down the hall, down the stairs to the basement, sitting at the card table, you do most of that on autopilot. Why? Because your eyes take a look at the situation and interface with your brain without you even getting involved. So the second you set your eyes to the task, I think you get a lot of the back room department working, the back departments working, whatever those are called. I don't think it's a bad idea to have it listed as a net worth either. I mean, like on, you know, an Excel sheet or something like that, as long as it's organized correctly. I think the biggest mistake here is that people leave stuff out. Like there's maybe like that, by the way, you're the only person who's going to go through this. You know, if you're thinking about kind of setting this up at the beginning of the year, you've got two weeks at the holiday time now to kind of get your ship with the P pointed in the right direction. So just be honest, you know, don't, don't be like, well, I don't know. Should I count the student loans? Cause I mean, they might get forget. I'm not going to count those. Like, no, if you owe the money to grandma for something you bought 20 years ago and you haven't paid her back, put it on the sheet, you know, like be uh, uh, super, super honest with yourself because that to your point, I think helps uh, your brain to be able to start solving what it needs to solve. So you're the most trustworthy person that you know of. So don't try to lie to yourself. It backfires. And working on that upper left quadrant then I think is the first thing to work on to your point. You said you have to have cash. So let's start there. If you have very tight cash flow or negative cash flow and you have debt, I don't know that it really matters what your long-term goals are as much as it matters to get that free cash flow working. Now, a lot of people listening to the show have the opposite problem. They have huge cash flow, right? And this was always a great problem to have, but people had huge cash flow and it was just going random places because we didn't have any system to capture it. We were just out mm-hmm. spending stuff and 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 people didn't remember. It was amazing how once we captured that cash flow by setting up automatic saving strategies, right? More money into the 401k, setting up a Roth IRA or putting money into whatever it is, just making that automatic and capturing that money so you didn't think about it every month. People save far more money than they thought they could. And guess what? The budget didn't change. Like people, are you having less fun? No. Where did that money go? I have no idea where that money went. Now it's going in my pocket. And again, starting with uh, where you happen to be. You know, if you put everything on your charge card, it's a pretty easy thing just to download all of the transactions. You don't have to put it in a fancy, you know, you don't have to go get Mint or a tool and go pay for it. I mean, you can. Those are great. But if you don't want to, you can just sort by transaction. Yeah. <laughs> sort, you know, when you go to Kroger, it's reported as Kroger every single time the same way on your Amex statement. Right. So you can sort by merchant and be, and you can look like what, what we did just a week ago. It's like 497 transactions of Amazon. And I'm like, wait, there's only been 360 <laughs> days of the year. <laughs> we won. I think we won. <laughs> Get it. But when you're working on cash flow, if you're starting from the perspective of there's not enough, then you have to do something about that. You know, that's the only thing that matters. You can't have a, well, I want to retire, or, you know, I want to, you know, be financially independent early and all this. If you don't make more money than you spend, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. None of it matters. And sometimes that spending is because of bad spending in the past, like you said, consumer debt or something like that. So you have to work on those things individually. Try to lower the interest rate, try to change the payment structure. Best thing to do though, sleep in your car. In the Marriott parking lot, Courier by yeah. Marriott parking lot, get the free breakfast. Yeah, do that. You can try it. 
you know, try to try increase your income. I mean, yeah. I mean, for crying out loud, inflation, we talked about it for a couple of weeks now. In fact, that was an article that I saw that was on the heels of the inflation thing, which was, you're probably going to ask for a pay raise. You're probably going to get it. And it's probably not going to go anywhere because of inflation, you know? So it's if just going to be keeping up. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not getting it, you're going to kind of sort of be behind. So if you're negative cash flow or even, you have to figure out a way to, to change that. I want to talk about the budget for a second because there's two things. Oh, gee, what you were just talking about is tracking your expenses. And to your point, you can have a fancy app. Second, you can run it all through a credit card. Do that if you're not uh, putting additional money on the credit card, if you don't carry a balance. If you carry a balance, that can be very dangerous. But that's not a budget. And I think there's different ways to budget. If it's really close, if it's really close to the vest, I think that having a budget like a YNAB or, and I know they're a sponsor, but we asked them to be a sponsor of the show for this reason, Cube Money. So YNAB or Q Money or one of these envelope type systems is fantastic. You'll also find that it's kind of a pain in the ass, but it's great when things are super tight. Once things loosen up, you know, you and I talk about the magic of Paula Pants budget, which is I make sure that I'm saving for all my goals. And this is where it comes down to, okay, what is this money going toward? What, what, what am I really saving for? But for those people, I think having almost an anti-budget is a good answer once the budget's under control. And what you'll find, by the way, working with a Cube or a YNAB uh, for a while is that you get used to these barriers, right? I mean, you know, when they start off with kids bowling, they put those barriers over the gutters. But as you get more control over the ball going down the going down the alley, you don't need those barriers anymore. And you take those off and you still find that the ball goes where you want it to go. So how about that for an analogy, huh? I was going to say, you haven't seen me bowl lately. (laughs) I asked for the bumpers. Like, can I put the bumper? They're like, sir, you're... I love the bumper though. Yes, yes. Oh, I can't do like the... Guardrail. Yeah, it's it's like pool meets bowling. Like if I... Ding pong. Ding, 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 ding. If I hit it two thirds of the way down just right, I could still get a strike. Yeah, exactly. So... I think choosing the right budget is super important if, if things are tight. And then having a debt strategy. Let's talk about that for a second, OG. What do you think about consolidating debt, refinancing debt? Where does that fit when it comes to your debt strategy? I feel like it kind of ends up with one of these know thyself type of things. I mean, if you can consolidate your debt and not go back to it, then it can work out really well. The downside is you get the HELOC, right? You say, okay, I got all these. I'm just going to put this all in one payment. It'll be easy to manage, lower the interest rate. I can make progress. And then you do that. And then you go, oh, now I've got all these credit cards (laughs) that have no balance. I should, I definitely need a new sofa. It's just a cycle that never ends. And we all know people, some, (laughs) some of us intimately, people who do that or have done it. Nothing is more demoralizing than waking up five years after you do that to find out that you're in the exact same spot. Only worse now that you have this extra line of credit now on your house or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I love so, that point of view because consolidation, and that's that's what I was thinking even as I asked the question, consolidation doesn't solve the problem. It can make it easier, but it does not solve the problem. And I certainly, you know, back when I was struggling with debt to to get out of debt and I had the right behaviors. 
I used consolidation to speed up the process, but I had to have the behavior first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really the biggest thing, because if you, I think you have only so many opportunities to swing, you know what I mean? And what, and I guess what I mean by that is, so let's say you spend your twenties and you just kind of fouled up and you just, you know, you get that eye opening moment and you say, okay, I need, I need to get this squared away. And so you sit down, you make a plan, you work it, and then you wake up when you're 40 and you go, I didn't make any progress. I mean, I did that consolidation thing or, you know, but now here I am, I make twice the money. I got twice the stuff going on in life and I'm still, my net worth is the same as it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm really seriously going to buckle down. I'm 40 for crying out loud. I need to get it together, you know, and I'm going to do, and then 10 more years later, you're in the same spot because you've gone back to that well so many times of, I'll just, you know, I'll consolidate it and then it'll be it. And the next pay raise, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've said that to myself or, or I've heard people say this. I mean, you hear talk, people talk about like charitable giving or something like that. If you can't give 10% of your income when you make 50,000, there's no chance you're going to give 10% of your income when you make 500. And for people who, who make 50,000, they go, oh, yes, I will. No, you won't. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's because it's the behavior. It's not the, it's not the dollar amount. It's the fact that you're not doing that activity. And if you say, you know, if you're looking at your retirement plan and you're saying, I'll start my 401k when I get my next pay raise, I can tell you 99 times out of 100, it's still stuck at 3% and you're making $200,000 a year. And you go, where the heck, where did it go? And let's put a positive spin on this. It's a great and fun muscle to build. Because once you start building that muscle, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is a whole different world. Like, this is way fun. And I feel like there's these, I don't know, two different types of people. There are people that are gamifying staying in debt and people that are gamifying yeah. building assets. Yeah. And you think about this too. I mean, in the get out of debt game, and this is what ultimately scared me a lot is that my debt is somebody else's asset. And that just peeves me. It makes me, it makes me really frustrated that I am a positive line on somebody else's balance sheet. <laughs> And you know, who's, who's the winner there, right? right? I want somebody to be the line on my balance sheet. That's the place where you're winning. So I don't know. I don't know what motivates you, but that certainly, certainly motivated me. Let's move over. That's the upper left quadrant. Certainly then the upper right quadrant is also important. And this is your risk management strategy. And, you know, I have a family member who's uh, struggling right now. And, you know, we're looking at all of their, uh, their estate stuff. And this is something, OG, I think that no matter what age you are, whatever's going on, at the very least, have your estate plan in order because you don't die at the end of your story. You die in the middle of your story. And we don't know when that is. You know, this family member of mine a few weeks ago, healthy, everything's going great. Not so much today. Yeah. And the time to do it is when you're when you're ticked off that you got to do it, that's when, that's the time to do it because you're not going to make really great decisions in the moment. You're not going to make great decision, money decisions if you're trying to mix money decisions and, and emotional things at the same time. You open up the opportunity for people arguing with you, you know, like that's not what mom wanted. I talked to her yeah. last Christmas and she said that the grandfather clock is going to me, Yes, you know. And if you didn't, like, if you didn't hear our show on this last Wednesday, go back and listen to it because David Eady was fantastic on this topic. Yeah, so it has to be at a time when it's 
it's a nuisance. You know, if you're trying to rush around and call the attorney while grandma's on a respirator or something, I mean, like it's not good. Not a great time to be doing that. No, and, and a couple and, little points that he pointed out, the code to get into your phone is now huge. Somebody needs to know how to get into your phone. I talked about that with somebody. I can totally see. I can totally see this happening. It's it hasn't happened to my knowledge yet where this is going to be a little morbid. You're at the funeral home and there's grandpa, you know, and somebody reaches in with his phone with his fingerprint to, to get, get it unlocked. <laughs> or they they hold it over his oh, face. But so ding. Okay, I unlock grandpa's phone everybody. All right. Got it. I can get all the pictures. Yeah. Now, I will tell you Apple, I'm sure Android does this too, but Apple in their new release, I just read about it uh, the other day in the Wall Street Journal. They're actually allowing you to designate a legacy survivor, actually 5 of them. But you still have to do that. Well, you have to designate them yes, absolutely. You still have to. And then do they that. get now now they get access to your text messages. They get access to all your pictures. So, you know, be careful. You know, it's a whole different different ballgame. Whatever, whatever your search history is, somebody's going to find it eventually. But you definitely need to give give those because everything's there now. I mean, increasingly, everything is is there or a lot of your stuff is there. That is important. And that's generally a good place to start because that's universal. The other things to look at, of course, are your insurance policies. And without going into all these it is less important to look at the different insurances out there, which is what the insurance industry wants you to do. And instead, OG, look at what your risks are and make sure that you're covering the biggest risk. So the biggest risk of all, and the one that we see people cover the least is disability coverage, right? That is a yep. huge risk and people don't cover it. So that's that's the one to focus on. Look at mag- I mean, you just look at it from again from a probability and magnitude standpoint. I love it when people are like, "But it's so expensive." I go, "Why do you think that is? Do you think that it's just some random guy in an ivory tower that's like, you know what we'll do? Here's an idea. Let's charge a whole bunch of money for this this type of insurance, and we'll just give this stuff away kind of cheap. You know that life insurance stuff? Yeah. Why don't we make the uh, Hey, you're a healthy 25-year-old? I know. Let's do this. Let's do $2 million life insurance, cost you 300 bucks a year, and then let's do uh, $5,000 a month of disability insurance. You say, let's do, uh, do $4,000 a year. Like He's not making it up. It's based on the likelihood of using it. Right. So if it's really high, there's a freaking high chance that something bad is going to happen. And then you multiply the, you know, if you have a, a family, right, a couple, then that increases your likelihood of that happening. And at the very least, that doesn't mean that you have to buy more insurance, but that means you need to have a strategy in that area. You just have to have a strategy. It doesn't have to be insurance, but you have to have a strategy. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's not about let's sell some insurance or let's buy some insurance. It's about let's figure out a way to solve the problem if something bad happens. Insurance for this reason generally goes in a U shape, I find, during people's lifetime. You need to start off with a Fair amount. I remember for younger people, I'd always recommend fairly big amounts because they don't have cash set aside. It's hard to self-insure. So we have to cover the things that are big magnitude with big insurance policies. Then we get closer to the goals and we have these big amounts that we can now siphon from. As an example, when it comes to disability coverage, we're at a point where we're like, okay, yep, probably, probably we can coast in, you know, this is going to be fine. But earlier in our careers, not the case at all. 
when it comes to your car insurance, as an example, and your your homeowners lower deductibles, but then as you once again can self-insure, you can raise those deductibles and save some money on insurance. However, late in life, later in life, I find that sometimes the insurance costs go up, but in different areas, right? Now we're talking about healthcare. We're talking about long-term care. Yeah. And for some people that have accumulated a lot of assets, life insurance costs end up being a very good way to do estate planning if you have done a phenomenal job and your high net worth can be a fantastic tool. But that is definitely not even 201. That's probably 401 stuff. Yeah. The stuff on the bottom, and I don't think we got to spend a lot of time on this. You know, people always ask us, what's the right tech strategy? Should I put this in a Roth IRA or not, OG? Should I look at the, at the I'm going to say the word, should I look at annuities? Should I think about which part of my 401k should I, I put in? Hey, we're, we're, we just got some stuff. Where do we put it? And the answer for all of these is going to be based on where you want to go. It's all based on where you want to go. Once you know when you're harvesting the money, when you've, you've got this crop in the ground, you want to plant it, you want to have it go through the growing season. When does that growing season end? Because that will drive your tax strategy and it will drive the investment. And this, by the way, gets rid of a lot of consternation, as you know, OG, that a lot of investors have because they go, oh my God, there's so many different choices of investments that I can choose. The fear of missing out becomes big. I'm going to miss the right one. What what is what is the right one? And instead of focusing on the wide range and thinking there's so much I don't need to know, when you start with the end in mind, now I can focus on just the small number of investments that historically have done that. And then my research becomes a hell of a lot less. And then I know that a lot of these opportunities don't even fit me, so I don't even have to worry about them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people start with the wrong, you know, start with the wrong thing, which is I saw on CNBC or I read on Reddit that da, 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 you know, and if you think about the time frame that you need the money to be, and by the way, sometimes that time frame is darn near indefinite. You know, you think about retirement, you need money the first year of your retirement, but you also need money the 50th year of your retirement. So what you start, to your point, you start narrowing down, where should I put money if I think I don't need it for 50 years? You know, I mean, basically aggressive stocks, right? I mean, like, like there's no other place to put it. Where do I need money if I am going to buy a vacation house in 25 months from now? Yeah. Very different place for sure. Very, very different. And that means at this point, you, you start off with where you want to go and people want the optimal tax strategy. Everything is inside of that. Right. That's going to do it. You know, if you want more on this topic, we have a fantastic newsletter called the 201. The 201 is a newsletter that we've been told, OG, that we should make this, these blog posts. In fact, our amazing engineer, Steve Stewart, wrote me a note saying, there's so much packed in here. I feel like it's getting wasted by not being a blog post. And we say, that's kind of the point. This is the inner circle for people that want it. And for people that don't want it, then we don't we don't provide stuff people don't want. I gotta clog up your inbox. Yes. So the two oh one is there. It's always free. You can always unsubscribe at any time. Our goal is to make sure that you don't want to do that. And we have found so much uh great, fun, ancillary stuff to these stories that we tell. It's not so much a guide to the show as a ride along going deeper into the same topics that we have. Stackingbenjamins.com slash two oh one. Brooke Miller, who puts that together, is going to have lots 
lots, lots, lots. She's a former CFP OG. So she uh, dives into this as much as, as you know, as much as you and I do. And it makes her giddy when she can write about all of the exciting things going on when it comes to what to do first, second, third, fourth. So we will have a curated list for you if you sign up for the 201, stackybenjamins.com slash 201. And if you're listening to this the day it came out, you got that 201 yesterday. And on that note, and this is weird because normally here I'm thanking the guest. Thank you, OG, for all your insights. Happy holidays. Oh, I guess we still have to come back for a couple more days. Well, Never no, mind. we can play some bumper music here just for a second. Wow, that was a fantastic conversation with that Joe and OG. They were, they were great. <laughs> hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and help a stacker tackle some of life's biggest problems. One of life's biggest issues. The Haven Life Insurance Agency puts what you value first. Uh, getting ready for, you know what, tomorrow. Yes. Big day for you. The big, big B day. It is. And other things. Having a big B day tomorrow. It is spending time with your loved one. It's your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. If you go to stackybenjamins.com slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. Affordable prices. We just talked about how you need to get this stuff done. All their policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual. It's an easy application. Get it done online. Give uh, a great holiday gift. Guess what I did? I totally just got my life insurance in line. Good job. Well, I'm not saying I did. I did that a long time ago. Oh, I'm just saying you can tell people that you did. Uh, but you know what? Julia can tell people we threw out the Haven Lifeline to her. Hey, Julia. Hi, Joe and OG. How's that saying go? You can't teach a new dog old tricks? Well, I'm a young pup, but I've learned plenty from you too. I have a question in regards to co-signing. Becoming financially educated has its perks, but it also has its downfalls, like being the go-to for family members in a bind. My husband and I are preparing for an upcoming situation in which we may be asked to co-sign for a cash-out mortgage refinance for around $50,000. I won't go into the details because I know there are a lot of factors that go into this decision that we are already considering. However, I'm having difficulty finding information on the technicalities of co-signing. Will this affect our credit immediately or only if it goes into default? Will we be notified and have a chance to make payments to avoid default if it were to come to that? We're considering moving in the next five years and I know that our credit score is important for getting a mortgage, so we are mostly wondering how it will affect that. Thanks for any insight you are able to provide. By the way, I was a size medium before quarantine, but I might need a large after a couple years of stress eating and gym shutdowns. <laughs> oh, Julia, thanks for the message. And uh, I'll tell you with this difficulty in my family with a family member, I have been, oh, geez, you can believe I've been eating my feelings. So Julia, I'm right there with you. I told Cheryl the other day, I picked her up from where she works and said, let's go get a hamburger. She's like, I don't think that's a healthy choice. I'm like, I don't really care. I have to tell you what's going on in our family. And I really want a hamburger and a shake and some fries. And uh, yeah, so I knew it was a bad decision ahead of time. So I'm right there with you, Julia. But speaking of bad decisions, but I'm bump. Hold on. Nope, not that one. Yes, let's, uh, let's talk about co-signing for somebody else. No, God! 
No, God, please, no, 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 no. I agree with Michael Scott there. No, 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 no. So will it affect your credit immediately? Yes, it's your debt. Absolutely. It's going to show up on your credit report. Will it affect your debt to income and your ability to buy the next house? Absolutely, it will. 100%. Will you be notified if there's a default? Eh, probably, because the uh, when you get the collection notice on your doorstep that says, oh, hey, by the way, that mortgage uh, hasn't been paid in a month, so that 30-day late? Yeah, sorry, that's on your credit report for the next seven years. Speaking of family members, I had this happen, OG, between two other family members, and unfortunately, being the money guy in the family, I was asked to intervene, which was not comfortable at all, but I... F- found out that uh, the one family member who co-signed for the other didn't find out for about six months that it was late. Yeah. Yeah. You are a hundred percent in charge of this loan. There is no circumstance in which you should do this. Not a single one. Because if the person can't like, what, what are they doing with a cash out refinance on a house? Oh, I really want a pool, man. And I can't afford it. So can you help me? I think it's something no. bigger than that. I mean, I think it's, I think it's got to be, if Julie is considering it, I mean, it might be a healthcare concern. It might be a uh, business opportunity that they- Not my circus, not my monkeys. Like if you can't afford to start the business without my help, then you're not starting a business. I'm starting a business. And guess what? I don't want to start a business. And the healthcare issue, you just don't have any ability to repay it. So what's the outcome? Like there's better programs for people that don't have health insurance than those that are like marginally qualified for health insurance programs and have money. So don't like, I've again, thankfully, thankfully never been in a circumstance where, you know, like that movie, John Q, right? With Denzel Washington, where, you know, the doctor won't give him the procedure because he doesn't have the have the cash, you know, to pay for it and the insurance won't cover it. Thankfully, never been in that circumstance. But I also know that the times that we have used the healthcare system aggressively, that every single time they've been willing to work with us in terms of the payments, they just want to get paid. So I would explore other options and work to solve other scenarios than to have a chance of ruining your credit for the better part of a decade because your sister-in-law forgot to make a payment on time. There is no coming back from it. Like there is no, hey, sorry. Yeah, I know that that's it, but that's my sister-in-law's. Like that doesn't count. Like it is unremovable on a late payment. And if you get one late payment, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it drops your credit score by 100 points. And it stays on there for seven years. It affects you for two that money will count against your debt to income when the bank, because you go to the bank and you'll say, hey, I want to buy a new house. And they'll go, cool, let's look at your credit report. Oh, it says here you got a line of credit on a house. And you'll say, oh, no, that's my sister's. They'll be like, well, it's on your credit report. Don't have to tell you. It would be better. It would be better to give them cash than to do this. Yes. And not even think about it. Yes. Be like, okay, you need 50 grand. Here's 50 grand. I don't ever want to talk Just to you again. let it go away. About money. Yep. You're never paying me back. Here it is. Or if you need money out of your house that badly... I will buy your house from you. And then I will own the asset that goes with the it's debt. A, still a better option. If I got the debt, I want an asset that goes with it. You know what I mean? Like, golly, this goes bad in a hurry so many ways. And it only goes right one way. And that is asymmetric in my opinion. I can't so, tell you how ugly this was just in my family, like firsthand. Oh, don't do it's it. horrible. Don't do it. Yes. You had a free t-shirt anyway, but don't do it. 
Julia, thank you so much for asking uh, us that question. To your point, there are a ton of factors to consider, and I think OG uh, hit hit them all. Bold a strike. Didn't need the guard bumpers at all. No bumpers required. If you have a question and also would like to pick OG's brain on this stuff, stackybedjamins.com slash voicemail. That's going to do it for today. Remember, man, a big week coming up this week. One of my favorite weeks. We have a few weeks we do every year. We always have a financial superstar on to talk about what we should have learned this year. No exception to that rule. Clark Howard, the Clark Howard. One and only. Coming down to the basement. I think it's his third or fourth time here, but always one of the nicest people on earth and just, just a guy who's helped so many people. I can't wait to talk to Clark Howard on Wednesday. And then our roundtable regulars get together on Friday and it's all financial lessons we should have learned from this year. So we uh, started off today with the order of operations and then we're going to end this on a high note. And then don't forget next week, next week we are bringing the year home with five episodes all about financial independence. So if you're thinking about financial independence, retire early want to just dive into that. We're going back into the archives with OG and I kicking off five special days of episode. Of course, then it doesn't slow down in the new year. We've got Ramit Sadie kicking off 2022 and Aaron Sky Kelly helping you get the hell out of debt. And the episode after that, the Magic 8-Ball kicks off the year, which if you've never heard our Magic 8-Ball episode... It's where we take a Magic 8-Ball from Walmart and uh, OG, Paula, and Len ask it questions. And the thing was rolling about the first five years of the show and then uh, went off the rails for a couple of years, OG, but came back during last year's episode, had a good year. We're going to see if the Magic 8-Ball had a good year again in 2021, and we'll ask it questions for 2022. That is all the fun coming up on the horizon. To keep up with all the madness, subscribe to the 201stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. If you haven't subscribed to the show and you're new to the family, welcome. Hit follow or subscribe wherever you're at. If there's a stacker that needs to hear this stuff, if you remember the 201, we have a reward program over there. Sign them up for that. And then also they can listen to the show as well. Yes, we will uh, give away some swag. And by the way, we had one stacker who uh, set up four different email addresses and referred himself. We're on to you. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It's not as cool as sleeping in your car (laughs) at the Marriott to get the free breakfast. Actually, that's probably better. That would be fine. Because a free breakfast is better than stickers and a t-shirt, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a cool t-shirt, but all right. That's going to do it for today. Last but not least, if you're someone who wants to make better decisions in 2022 than you did in 2021 and before, OG and his team are taking clients and their financial advising team ready to help you think bigger, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG for access to their calendar and getting rolling into next year. All right. That's it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, don't try to tackle all your financial issues at once. Address them in order so you can stay more focused and feel less overwhelmed. Second, deciding where to start? The best thing to do is to get started. 
And remember that even if you're paying down debt or getting the budget in order, saving early and often so that compound interest works in your favor should always be part of the plan. But the big lesson... If you ever get the chance to make an investment in 1803, definitely do it. I'd recommend it. If you ever get the chance to eat unlabeled shellfish sandwiches out of a rusted Chevy fleet side, uh, definitely not. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. Copyright 2021 and is created by Joe Salcihat. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Know how I know how brilliant Paulette is? She wrote the words I'm reading right now. While she's not putting awesome words in my mouth, she helps writers power their work and businesses power their words. See how she can help you at thatwriterpaulette.com. After you listen to our show, check out our show notes page and... The 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. At stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, saying, and let's all say it together now. Three, two, one. See ya. All right, Joe, you, my friend, I've got your next trip. This is from the Daily Mail. Don't know anything about it. All aboard for a new track record. Woo-hoo. <laughs> your, your interest is peaked, I can tell. <laughs> Travelers can now go from Portugal to Singapore on the longest continuous railway journey in the world. You're kidding me. The route stops in Paris, Moscow, Beijing, Laos, and elsewhere, oh. ends in Singapore, 11,654-mile journey takes 21 days. Ultimate challenge for the ultimate train bus. Oh, sign me up. Thanks to the opening of the railway in Laos earlier this month, it's now possible to travel from Lagos in southern Portugal all the way to Singapore with just a few changes. Tops a previous record by around 1,000 miles. Uh, The journey, which does require some short interchanges between stations, has been calculated by users of the Reddit website with British train enthusiast Mark Smith. So, uh, 
Lagos to Lisbon to France to Paris to Moscow to Beijing to another place in China that I can't say pronounce. Then uh, some other place, then some to Vietnam, and then Bangkok, and then Malaysia, and then Penang, and then Kuala Lumpur, then to Singapore. There you go, man. Game on. So you start with an Atlantic dip in Lagos, and then uh, you end up in the uh, Indian Ocean. When I was in Southeast Asia, they they were pronouncing it Lao instead of Laos. I use all the letters. I'd always pronounce it I use all the letters. Yes. If they wanted it to be Lao, then they would say L-A-O. They would just... Yes. L-O-W. Lao! Yeah. We're looking at you, Mackinac. <laughs> Get your train tickets. Merry Christmas. I'm also not buying it for you, but no. if I was... Oh, thanks. I was... You're just bringing it to my attention. I was a gazillionaire, I would. You're dangling it there. That's right. Well... You know, maybe maybe I could have Julia co-sign on loan for me. Sounds like she'd be open to it. Not after you just talked her out of it. We should have answered that call differently. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine... You can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.